Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. If you turn in your Bible, please, to Genesis chapter 28, then we'll get ready to start here. Genesis 28. Let's uh, look to God. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, Lord, that you cares so much about us that you gave your word and then Lord you poured out your spirit to us to make your words known to us and so Lord that's what we're expecting this morning as we pray in Jesus name amen Genesis 28 and starting at the last few verses going into 29 Genesis 28 verse 20 and Jacob vowed a vow saying if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on so that I come again to my father's house in peace then shall the Lord be my God and this stone which I have set for a pillar shall be God's house and of all that thou shalt give me I will surely give the tenth unto thee then Jacob went on his journey came into the land of the people of the east he looked and behold a well in the field and lo there were three flocks of sheep lying by it for out of that well they watered the flocks great stone was upon the well's mouth Thither were all the flocks gathered. They rolled the stone from the well's mouth, watered the sheep, and put the stone again upon the well's mouth in his place. Jacob said unto them, My brethren, whence be ye? They said, Of Haran, are we? He said unto them, Know ye Laban, the son of Nahor? They said, We know him. He said unto them, Is he well? They said, He is well. And behold, Rachel, his daughter, cometh with the sheep. And he said, Lo, it is yet high day, neither is it time that cattle should be gathered together. Water ye the sheep, go, feed them. They said, we cannot until all the flocks be gathered together until they roll the stone from the well's mouth. Then we water the sheep. While he yet spake with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she kept them. Came to pass when Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, that Jacob went near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. And Jacob kissed Rachel and lifted up his voice and wept. Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's brother, that he was Rebekah's son. She ran told her father, came to pass when Laban heard the tidings of Jacob, his sister's son, that he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. And he told Laban all these things. And Laban said to him, surely thou art my bone and my flesh. And he abode with him for a space of a month. We go on and explains a little bit more. Verse 17 tells us that Leah was tender-eyed, but Rachel was beautiful and well-favored. Now, in our last study, we saw the importance in where we were here in verse 20 of this verses here, verses 20 through 22, when it says, Jacob vowed a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in the way that I go, will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on so that I come again to my father's house in peace. That means in one piece. (laughs) 
Then shall the Lord be my God, and this stone which I have set for pillars shall be God's house, and of all that thou shalt give me, I will surely give the tenth unto thee. Those were important words in verse 20, and Jacob vowed a vow. Because the course of Jacob's life was set by this vow that he vowed here. And we saw that Jacob set out for himself by his vow a miserable life by his vow, and he could have had a happy life. Instead, he had a miserable life only because he said two terrible words in his vow. And Jacob could have had a happy life if he just would have substituted two other words in his vow instead of the two words that he did use in his vow that set him out on this miserable life. What were the two words that Jacob said in his vow that guaranteed him a miserable life? And what two words should Jacob have said in his vow that would have guaranteed him a happy life? That's it. All right. If and then guaranteed miserable life. (laughs) And what are the two words he could have said? Since now, guaranteed a happy life, (laughs) okay, really. I mean, God had already promised to Jacob those three blessings, God's promise, God's protection, God's provision. He had it in the bag, the bag of faith. But Jacob didn't believe God's promises, and so he put this if in front of all these three promises with these promised blessings, they're really blessings from God, and he put an if in front of all three blessings, and then he set off on his then distant future, the Lord's gonna be his God, and that just guaranteed him a miserable life. The if and the then in his vow made what he said a condition to God, and that guarantees a misery. You see, all Jacob had to do, just believe God. If Jacob just would put a sense in front of all three of those God's blessings, his promised blessings, then he would have been easy sailing through a nice, happy life. I wouldn't say easy sailing, but a happy life. See, the sense would have made Jacob's vow a declaration of faith. And the now would have made Jacob's vow a surrender to God. But it was because what was on the table with all this was in verse 21 when Jacob said, then shall the Lord be my God. And you remember in our last study, I said that my single friend who never got married and my friend's response told us what Jacob meant when he said, the Lord be my God, in verse 21. What did Jacob mean when he said, the Lord be my God? What reason did my friend give for never getting married, remember? That's it. (laughs) He didn't want a wife to tell him what to do. (laughs) And I told him, they don't do that. But anyway, (laughs) he didn't want anybody telling him what to do. And what Jacob meant by, the Lord be my God, in verse 21, when Jacob said, the Lord be my God, Jacob meant, I don't want the Lord telling me what to do in life. That's just it. And that's what made the difference between a miserable life and a happy life in Jacob. See, if Jacob would have let God tell him what to do in life, then Jacob would have had a happy life. But since Jacob didn't let God tell him what to do in life, he's got a miserable life. That's true of us. That's true of us. If the Lord's our God, we're gonna let God tell us what to do in life. And if the Lord's not our God, we're not gonna let God tell us what to do in life. Now, we can say the Lord's my God, but not let him tell us what to do. So that doesn't count. (laughs) If we let God tell us what to do in life, guaranteed happy life. We don't let God tell us what to do, guaranteed miserable life. That's what we're going to see played out here in Jacob's life. And now let's continue on in seeing this miserable life (laughs) that Jacob had because he didn't let the Lord tell him what to do. So fasten your seatbelts. Okay, so now chapter 29, a lot of action words here. Then went, verse 1, Jacob. Then Jacob went, verse 1, and he came into the land And verse two, and he looked, and behold, a well. I mean, we know that Jacob here is looking for a wife, and he's come to a well. 
And this reminds us of the last well that we studied where a wife was found. So let's think about that. Let's just sort of compare that what went on when Jacob's mother, Rebecca, was found at a well for his father. And that was, you remember, that was, that was in Genesis 24 in verses 10 through 16, where Eliezer was the one who was sent by Abraham to find a wife for, and this is what it said, the servant, that's Eliezer. He took 10 camels of, of the camels of his master, departed for all the goods of his master, went his hand. He rose, went to Mesopotamia under the city of Nahor, very close. And he made his camels to kneel down without the city by a well of water. Maybe it was the same well, we don't know. At the time of the evening, even the time that women go out to draw water. And he said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, I pray that you send me good speed this day and show kindness unto my master Abraham. Behold, I stand here by the well of water. As if God couldn't see him. (laughs) Anyway, I'm sorry I put these comments anyway. And the daughters of the men of the city come out to draw water. We get the scene here, standing there at the well, a lot of women all around. And let it come to pass that the damsel to whom I shall say, let down my t- thy pitcher, I pray thee that I may drink. She shall say, drink, I'll give thy camels drink also. Let the same be she that thou hast appointed for thy servant Isaac. Thereby shall I know thou hast shown kindness unto my master. Came to pass before he had done speaking. Behold, Rebekah came out who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother with her pitcher upon her shoulder, and the damsel was very fair to look upon, a virgin, neither had any man known her. She went down to the well and filled her pitcher and came up. Now, when you compare what happened in the Genesis 24 account with what happened, what's happening here in the Genesis 29 account, what is conspicuous by its absence? That's it. There's no prayer. There's no prayer here. See, what we have in Genesis 24 is this, and he said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, I pray thee, send me good speed, etc. Both Eliezer and Jacob went to a well to find a wife. Both Eliezer and Jacob found a wife at a well. But what's missing in what happened at Jacob at the well is that there's no Genesis 24, 12, there's no, and he said, O Lord God of my master There is no, oh, Lord God, calling. For Jacob, there's no calling on God. For Jacob, there's no, verse 13, there's no, behold, I stand here by the well of water and the daughters of the men of the city come out to draw water. See, there were many women there at that well, many to choose from. Now, Eliezer, he was brighter. (laughs) He felt helpless among those women to find a wife. And that drove Eliezer to declare his need to God. God, tell me what to do. See, Eliezer looked at all those women. He cried out, Lord, I can't do this alone. I I don't know which woman's the best one. Help me. See, that was just, in essence, his prayer. But Jacob, he didn't feel helpless in the middle of all those women. When Eliezer was in the middle of all those women, you know, Eliezer said, oh, no, this is terrible. I don't know which one. And Jacob, when he got in the middle of all those women, he said, this is great. He said, you know, the wolf has just arrived in the chicken pen. And the question is, which chicken is he going to eat? You know? So Eliezer gets to the middle of all those women, and Eliezer frowns. Jacob gets in the middle of all those women, and Jacob smiles. Because there's no Genesis 24, 14 in Jacob. There's no, let it come to pass that the damsel, which I'll say, let down thy pitcher, I pray thee, let me drink. She shall say, drink, I'll give thy camels drink also. And then Eliezer said, let the same 
be she that thou hast appointed for thy servant Isaac. God, you tell what Isaac should do, who to marry. See, Eliezer looked at all the women and said, I have just one criteria. And that one criteria is, which one has God appointed for Isaac's servant? See, Eliezer knew he couldn't make that choice. He knew he needed God. And he expressly, he was really expressing what Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 10, 23, when Jeremiah said, oh Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. Man is no good at self-direction. See, by contrast, though, Jacob said, I don't need God to choose the woman for me. He might choose somebody who has bad eyes. (laughs) Not beautiful to look on. (laughs) It wouldn't be so good. See, Jacob had one criteria for choosing a wife. See, Eliezer had one criteria for choosing a wife, and that was, who did God choose? And Jacob didn't care about that. Jacob had a criteria for choosing a wife, and he didn't need God to help him out in this one. See, Jacob said, you know, I'm red-blooded. I know how to choose a wife. And Jacob's criteria is in verse 17. Rachel was beautiful and well-favored. Now, when it says that Rachel was beautiful in verse 17, there are actually two Hebrew words which are used there. Yafeh, which means beautiful, and to'ar. And to'ar means Okay, (laughs) it means outline, it means figure, all right? And when it says that Rachel was well-favored, at the end of verse 17 again, again, two Hebrew words are used. Again, yafeh, which means beautiful, and this one is moray, again, shape, So there's a double emphasis in verse 17 to Rachel's figure, Rachel's shape, it shows us that Jacob has one criteria for finding a wife, and it's all about the figure, all about the shape. You know, all the bulges need to be in the right places. <laughs> Nothing should be falling down. See, that's what Jacob is concerned with. So there's no mention of her face. And for all we know, Rachel's face, I mean, we don't know about Rachel's face. Maybe she was an eyesore to look at. I don't know. You know but that wasn't what Jacob was focused on. So what Jacob is focused on, he doesn't need any help from God. For what Jacob is focused on, he doesn't need God telling him what to do. That's what he feels. What Jacob is focused on, Jacob doesn't want the Lord to be his God. So what we see in the difference between Eliezer finding a wife in Genesis 24 and Jacob finding this wife here in Genesis 29 is the difference between Eliezer seeking counsel from God and Jacob not seeking counsel from God. That's the difference there between Eliezer wanting she whom thou hast appointed and Jacob not. And the difference between Eliezer wanting God to tell him which one and Jacob doesn't. See, the difference between Eliezer finding a wife who does her husband good and Jacob finding a wife who ends up being a secret idolater who steals and hides idols in his house. Such a wife. (laughs) So the difference between Eliezer finding a wife who makes her husband happy and Jacob finding a wife who's going to make her husband miserable. And if Jacob wanted to know, why did you end up with a wife who made your life miserable? All he had to do was remember this well. And how at this well, he didn't ask God, he didn't want God to tell him what to do. So here we see Jacob at the well, he's on his own. And he doesn't want God to tell him what to do. And so 
He looks at all the women, he sees an opportunity at the well, and he just takes over. And he goes to the shepherds around the well, and he looks and he acts very strange to them. He comes on very strong. And he first calls them brethren in verse 4, like we said before. He says, do we know you? You know, And then he starts interrogating them you know, from verse 4. And he starts asking them if they knew Laban in verse 5. And then he asks how Laban was. And then from the shepherd's perspective, I mean, they're watching this man, Jacob. And as they tell Jacob, Laban's daughter is coming, then Jacob gives the shepherds the bum's rush. You know, just informs the shepherds, you know, it's noon, as if they didn't know. And you shouldn't be gathering the sheep here, as if who made you a boss over us, together at noon. And then he orders them, get this watering done and go out there and put those sheep out on the pasture and you go with them. See, he, he must have appeared very strange to them. And then in verse 8, then they get into an argument with Jacob about when the stone should be rolled off the mouth of the well and the sheep should be watered. They're very stubborn. I'm sure Jacob thought that. Very stubborn. Probably sat there and said, these Middle Easterners, they're very stubborn. (laughs) So now, in verse 9, Rachel arrives. And we can now imagine how Jacob appeared to Rachel. So now we're going to look at this. We've looked at this from Jacob's point of view. We've looked at it from the shepherd's point of view. We've looked at it now from Rachel's point of view. I mean, what does Rachel see when she arrives here at this well? She sees this fellow in verse 9, she's never seen him before. And he's striving, he's fighting, he's arguing. In verse 9 with the shepherds over what they should do with their sheep and the well. And then notice in verse 10, now we're going to switch now to Jacob's perspective. And it's all in one word. And it says there in verse 10, and it came to pass when Jacob saw Rachel. See, from verse 10, we realize that Rachel sees Jacob, and all of a sudden he stops his striving with the shepherds. And Rachel sees Jacob stop his striving with the shepherd, and then he just fixates on her. He gazes at her. And verse 10, Rachel sees Jacob. He's looking at her, he's staring at her, he's smiling, you know? And she begins to feel uncomfortable because Jacob is just captivated with her figure. And now, as we look at verse 10, we see that three times. Jacob is talked about his mother, his mother's, I mean, not Jacob, but the passage talks about Jacob's mother is mentioned. Jacob's mother, Jacob's mother, Jacob's mother, three times. Verse 10, there's emphasis there. That means that, you know, God wants us to get this in our minds. We don't want you to keep in your mind Jacob's mother. And now we see how much Jacob's heart has been tied to his mother and how much Jacob's heart has been hurt since he lost his mother when he left. And in Rachel, Jacob feels now he can be comforted from the hurt of being separated from his mother. I mean, maybe this is hard for you to understand because most of you didn't grow up in Jewish cultures. But I'm telling you, (laughs) just take it from me. Some Jewish men are so tied to their mothers, it's hard to understand. Jacob's father, Isaac, was so attached to his mother, Sarah, that when Sarah died, when Isaac's mother died, that he found no comfort, no comfort for him until enter one Rebecca, and she became his wife. And the scripture tells us what happened at the end of that chapter 24 in verse 67, where it says, and Isaac brought her, Rebecca, into his mother Sarah's tent and took Rebecca, and she became his wife, and he loved her, And Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. He wasn't comforted until the replacement for his mother came. 
See, Isaac was crushed after his mother's death. And when Rebekah came, Isaac brought her into his mother's tent. She became his wife in there, in Sarah's tent. And then it says he loved her, and he was comforted after his mother's death. See, Rebekah became the replacement for his mother Sarah. And Jacob had the same pain as his father because Jacob was separated from his mother. And Jacob looked at Rachel and saw that he could be comforted after being separated from his mother, and Rachel could become the replacement for his mother. You lucky gal, Rachel. (laughs) I know this is hard for you to understand, but I'm telling you, this is not uncommon about Jewish men, that they can be so tied to their mothers. It's because of the way they're raised. It starts in the way they're raised. Often, Jewish mothers are so dominant in the home that the men become so incredibly attached to their mothers and if you haven't experienced it, and it's hard for you to understand. Just this last week, a Gentile, Summer Blitzer, named Kala, and she's working at Franklin Park, New York. And you can see her picture on, on the Summer Blitz placemat. And so Kala wrote me a letter. And she wrote me of how hard it was for her to understand this unbelievable tie between a Jewish man and his mother. And she's working with this Jewish man. And she wrote me, this is what she wrote me about her experience this summer. She said, I've been able to talk with two different Jewish people and have good extended conversations. The one, his name is Robert. The other, her name is Gracie. Both of them were so close to being saved. Robert kept saying, what if hell is real? What if Jesus is the spiritual Messiah? What if I need Jesus? He had so many what-ifs, but he was afraid of his mother finding out, he said. And then she writes this, she goes, Robert's about 45 years old. (laughs) This blows her away. She can't understand this. She's like 18. So he's about 45 years old. He's still afraid of his mother finding out and rejecting him. Robert, she goes on, writes, Robert had ideas and was so close to salvation but also so far. After talking, and then she writes this, after talking to people like that, I'm thankful for the way I was raised and for this opportunity. Thank you, Kala. She she can't, she never seen anything like this before. See, Kala had never seen anything like that before. She realized she wasn't raised in a home where the mother was mother superior. (laughs) That's why Kala wrote, After talking to people like that, I'm thankful for the way I was raised. This 45-year-old Jewish man, Robert, he knew he needed salvation, but his mother ruled over him. His mother was leading this 45-year-old man to err away from the Lord Jesus, to go astray away from the Lord Jesus. And God sees that, and God laments that situation, and God spoke to that situation in Isaiah chapter 3, verse 12 where it says, as for my people, children are their oppressors and women rule over them. Oh, my people, they which lead thee cause thee to err and destroy the way of thy paths. See, God said in Isaiah chapter three, verse 12, Isaiah three twelve. as for my people, children are their oppressors. That's the other thing that happens sometimes in Jewish homes you've never seen, how children can just terrorize a home by being so out of control. They oppress The whole home, children are thy oppressors. Oh, my people, children are their oppressors. 
And God then goes, goes on, and that verse said, oh, my people. He said, as for my people, women rule over them. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org, or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E. Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at Tom Cantor, that's T O M C A N T O R, Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800 247 3051. 800 247 3051. Thanks for listening to Friendship with God with Tom Cantor. Looking for an exciting career in the medical field or biotech industry? Join Scanabody's Biologics, founded by a Christian businessman, Tom Cantor. It's a premier company dedicated to advancing patient care and serving the community of San Diego. Scanabody's has global operations and over 700 employees and growing. And if you have a heart for people and a desire to join a leading biotech company, call us 619-258-9300, 619-258-9300, scanabodies.com, that's scanabodies.com.